Captain America New World Order changes its title. The Idol Episode 1 has dropped. It's not receiving the greatest reviews or viewership. Then Zack Snyder reveals some details about his upcoming Netflix film Rebel Moon and a whole lot more. And that's how today's episode is going to break down here on Unbashful. Let's begin with, oh, and The Flash. The reviews are out. The embargo has lifted. So all the critics that have seen the film, they've given their their uh, their thoughts. We'll break out. We'll break some of that down very shortly. But let's begin with Captain America. So, 2021 was a pretty strange year. We were still in the middle of the pandemic. We were getting a lot of the Marvel content on Disney Plus. We had you know WandaVision. We had um we had we had Loki which to this day is still my favorite Disney Plus Marvel show. We had Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And there are redeeming qualities about that show specifically with the character development of Sam Wilson dealing with the decision to inherit the Captain America title. We see in the beginning of the show that he's hesitant to even take on that title. And then eventually we see that he decides he feels he has a moral responsibility to take over the mantle. And then we see the character development of Bucky Barnes as well. He's finally a free man. He's been pardoned of all his crimes because, of course, he was brainwashed. And we're seeing the, this, this juxtaposition between these two characters and how they're dealing with their own respective problems and truths. And I think that was the most interesting parts of that show. Everything with the Flag Smashers, I couldn't care for at all. I thought they were just pretty lackluster, forgettable villains. I understand their their motivation. I understand their goals as antagonists. They wanted, I believe that they wanted life, if my memory serves me correctly, they wanted life to go back to how it was during the blip. It's... Interesting on paper, I just think ultimately the execution wasn't that great. We found out shortly after the show released that Marcus Spellman, the writer of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, was working on a screenplay with Julius Ona, who I'm not entirely familiar with his work, but he directed um, that Cloverfield Netflix film, uh, Cloverfield Paradox, I believe is the title, and he's done some other things. Uh, I'm not too familiar with his work, but he is going to be directing the film, but him and Marcus Spumman worked on a screenplay for an Anthony Mackie-led Captain America movie, which only made sense because, of course, by the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he has fully accepted the Captain America mantle. He has the suit. It's very comic book accurate. You know, Say what you will about the suit. You could say it looks a little corny, a little you on the nose i i actually quite liked it uh but it seems like he's already getting a new suit which is not un, un abnormal for marvel these days it seems like every time we see our heroes again they have some kind of new costume or outfit it'd be nice to see them breaking in these outfits for a couple of films and then maybe at that point they can get a new a new suit but anyways <clears throat> the film up until most recently has been called Captain America New World Order. However, now, that has been changed. So let's read the Hollywood Reporter article here that details 
excuse me, this article comes from the direct and it talks about why the name change happened and what the new name is and what it means for the future of the film. So let's break it down. This comes here from the direct from Pierre Chan Chanlo. I definitely did not pronounce that correctly. It says here, there's been quite a controversy about the title for Captain America New World Order, but Anthony Mackie has confirmed its new title. Some fans objected to using the infamous conspiracy theory in the title when it was announced last year at San Diego's Comic-Con. At its core, the conspiracy theory is about a secret emerging totalitarian world government. However, as of today, much of that is directed at Jews, often using dog whistles like globalists. Understandably, many fans objected to the title as insensitive and tainted with anti-Semitism. It wasn't helped that the villain, Samuel Stearns, was reprised by Jewish actor Tim Blake Nelson. So, it's no wonder a rumor eventually sprung up about Marvel changing the title. Now, Marvel hasn't... That, that was the end of that part of the article. Marvel hasn't officially come forward and said that these are the reasons why we're changing the title. But according to this article and according to other outlets, there's been a lot of outcry from people um, <clears throat> demanding a change of the title. And I can totally understand where they're coming from. Um, I believe in you, you, that you as a, as a person should only really comment on things that, um, that, you, are, that you are knowledgeable in, 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 that you understand and that you have a... You've, you've done your research, you've done your history, and I will not sit here and try and, you know, claim or, or fake that I am this politically sound individual. I, I'm not. It's, it's not my area of expertise, so I'm not going to sit here and comment too much on some of the political terminology thrown around in here. <clears throat> Excuse me, voice crack. <laughs> but look, obviously, Semitism, anti-Semitism is bad. Those are obvious things that should be addressed. But in terms of, you know, some of the conspiracy stuff and globalists, I'm not too familiar with the, with those areas, so I'm not going to go super in-depth on. Now let's talk about the new title. So the title of Captain America New World Order is now being changed to Captain America Brave New World, which I think is a is a pretty good title. You know, a lot of people like to say that the title doesn't mean anything. I disagree. It, it's how we recognize the film. It's, it's how we it's how we acknowledge it. And oftentimes, the titles of films, mostly regarding IP, will often be hidden from the public for a certain period of time because it could spoil something about the film. So ultimately, they'll wait till. You know, a previous movie has come out, and then the audience is familiar with that. Like, I think James Gunn actually mentioned that when he was talking about, um, when he was revealing his slate for the Gods and Monsters Chapter 1 of DC. He said, there are certain projects left on this chapter that I can't announce yet because the titles will spoil what we are setting up for the future. So, I believe that the title is important. It's not the most important part, of course, making the film itself is what matters the most hiring good talent having hiring great talented actors writers crew that's the most important thing but the title is important 
So I, I, I don't agree with that narrative. But anyways, let's look here. This article details what the new title means. It says, in an Instagram post, Anthony Mackie praising Harrison Ford and giving fans a closer look at his new Captain America costume, which I will say, you know, I just talked about how I'm not the biggest fan of costume changes every five minutes. I actually like his new costume, but I'll get into that in a second. The Sam, Wilson, the Sam Wilson actor revealed the new title for Captain America New World Order, which is Captain America Brave New World. Meaning of the new title. It's impressive that Marvel Studios figured out a new title for Mackie's Captain America by only needing by only needing changing one word and keeping the general meaning of the title and no longer shackled to the anti-Semitic baggage. It also has a double meaning, with this being a new era with Sam Wilson as Captain America. But does the new title have other meanings? And what does it tell fans about the film? The phrase Brave New World originates from William Shakespeare's The Tempest. In it, a character named Miranda gives a speech about new visitors to the island. However, she is ignored of their ill intentions. Some have interpreted the play as an allegory for colonization, but the point remains that the phrase has a layer of naivete to it. I don't think I pronounced that correctly. The title could suggest that this new era of Captain America won't be without its own ill intentions. Another likely origin for the title is Aldous Huxley's, Huxley's famous dystopian novel, Brave New World, a story that explores a futuristic society revolving around science and efficiency while eliminating emotions and individuality in its populace. Could, Sam, could Samuel Stearns be attempting to create his own Brave New World through his gamma experiments? So that's pretty much the end of the article. That's, I think that's very interesting. There's been a lot of rumors that this film is finally going to address the, the celestial that is sticking out of the earth with Tiamat. And there's been a lot of rumors that this is going to be a geopolitical um, world, you know, world war surrounding the ownership of Tiamat Island. Countries are going to be battling each other for ownership of this material, which is which is heavily rumored and reported to be the the island itself. Tiamat Island is going to contain adamantium. Adamantium, for those of you who don't do not know, is the source of Wolverine's metal claws. So it's likely that's little seeds that Marvel's planning to eventually introduce their iteration, the MCU iteration of the X-Men. <clears throat> so overall, I think it's a pretty cool title. I think it rolls out the tongue nicely, Brave New World. I like that. The other title was interesting too. But I, I can even agree, it definitely sounds like it feeds into the conspiracy of it all. The sort of Illuminati of it all, if you will. And it, I don't know what it is with, with Sam Wilson's or Anthony Mackie's Captain America. But every, it seems like the projects that he's been in lately involving him as Captain America have been subject to change because of, you know, real crisis, real crises going on in our world today. If you did not know, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier originally was a show that was going to deal with a pandemic happening in in the MCU. But of course, we were in the middle of a pandemic ourselves. So I think so the writers had to change and sort of rework the show because I think it probably would have been insensitive at that time 
to have a show revolving around a pandemic and a, and, a, and, a, and a flu when we were in the midst of that ourselves. So it seems like something similar, maybe with the outside things that have been going on in our world politically and everything with Ukraine, whatever. Like I said, I'm not too tapped into that, so I'm not going to go into detail, but it seems like that might have might have had something to do with the title change for this film. Could be wrong. Might be. That Those are just my my thoughts on that. But yeah, so in basically what happened with this title title reveal was that Sam Wilson and Harrison Ford were sitting in the, in the little video village, which is where actors and the, and the directors go to sort of watch the, the playback of, of the takes that were just shot. And you could see that they're sitting in their chairs and Sam Wilson, or excuse me, Anthony Mackie is, is in full costume. He's got the shield on his back and he's got the new suit, which looks very... Uh, it, it looks heavily inspired by the Winter Soldier suit, which I think the Winter Soldier suit and the Endgame suit that Chris Evans wore are my two favorite suits that Captain America uh, has has worn. I think the Endgame suit is still my favorite, but the Winter Soldier suit has a a very um, covert, you know, undercover, sleek look to it, which was the intention. Because that film deals very much, Winter Soldier deals very much with, you know, nobody can be trusted. Um, there is, you know, whatever. You guys have seen the film. If you haven't, go check it out. And it seems like that suit is heavily inspiring uh, Sam Wilson's new suit. Which it seems like some of the story beats of this film could be similar to what we saw in Winter Soldier with you know, the governments and, 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 you know, people having their own agendas and it's similar to what happened with Hydra, stuff like that. So sort of Sam Wilson <clears throat> needing to, to go undercover in order to investigate things because that other suit from Falcon of the Winter Soldier, it's very loud. It's very bright. It's in your face. It looks great. But if I'm a superhero trying to sneak around and, and investigate and, and, and you know, sneak into certain buildings and areas, I'm going to get caught pretty quickly, even if I can fly. So I think that suit looks pretty good. I'm sure the next time we'll see him, if he gets a second film, if, if Anthony Mackie gets a trilogy of Captain America films, he'll probably get another suit. Or he might go back to the one from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um but in the same photo, Harrison Ford is sitting there, and he's not—he's not wearing any costume or mocap, so he's just sitting there with a, with a, with, a, with a black T-shirt on, and they're both sitting in these chairs, the production chairs, that have the title on the back with the new title card and a new font. It says Captain America: Brave New World. So yeah, what do you guys think about that? Are you excited for this film? I actually, as the day as days go by. We're hearing more news about this film. More characters are being added in. There's a lot of characters returning. His his sidekick, I can't even remember his name, the guy who's essentially going to be the new Falcon. Um, even though, let's be honest, we're pretty much going to have two Falcons because Sam Wilson is the new Captain America, but he's still very much a, a Falcon. You know, he has the wings. <clears throat> and his sidekick is going to be in the film. I can't... John Torres, I think, is his name. I might be wrong than Isaiah Bradley, who is a former Captain America. We learned that in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
And I think it's very interesting to have him return because he is quite on the other side of what it means to be Captain America. He was obviously, he dealt with a lot of racism, a lot of injustice that happened to him, we find out in the show. And he was he was the other side of the argument as to why why someone of color should not be Captain America because how we've been treated throughout history. So it's going to be interesting to see him returning in the film as well. He might even have his own his own suit. I think that'll be pretty interesting to see. And then we're hearing other characters like Tim Blake Nelson, which the article uh, pointed out from the original Hulk film. He is going to be in this film as the leader. We know that the Serpent Society is going to be in this film. I think some WWE star was seen on set in, in full costume. So that's pretty interesting. I'm sure some other MCU heroes might cameo. The uh, Shang-Chi actor, um, what is his name? Simu Liu has said that you're going to, you're going to see Shang sooner than you think. Could he be in this film? I think it's a strong possibility that we could see him in the Marvels. Just with the connection of the, the Ten Rings and the Bangles and and things like that. But anyways, I'm, I'm going in circles at this point. Let's move on to the next topic. But let me know what you guys think of the name change for Captain America New World Order being changed to Captain America Brave New World. So the Flash releases next weekend. But all the critics have seen the film. Some people saw it at CinemaCon back in May. Um, and now a lot of the critics that have seen the film most recently, like within the last week, they are now allowed to give their non-spoiler, uh, their non-spoiler reviews. And it's pretty interesting because I've been watching a lot of videos, doing a lot of research. Apparently Warner Brothers is changing some things to do with the film. Like for example, the ending is being changed. Uh, in certain cuts, in certain audiences, some audiences are getting a different post-credit scene. Some audiences are getting a, an altered ending of the film. So it seems like they're hiding something. It seems like they're saving something for the for the for the for all audiences to see. It probably has something to do with the future of DC as a whole. Because while this film and everything involved in it, its 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 inception was prior to the new regime on Warner Brothers with James Gunn and Peter Safran, there have been reports that James Gunn and Peter Safran and the filmmakers involved delayed the film and did some reshoots to at least tease things to come from the new, you know, call it a half-soft reboot that's coming in the near future with you know Super, Superman Legacy and all those projects announced. And... Uh, very, very interesting. I'm excited for the film. I, you know, I've talked Ignazium about Ezra Miller, and I'm not going to continue to do that here. On all accounts, they gave a great performance in the film. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Ezra Miller, despite everything that he's been involved with, he is a fantastic actor. I encourage you to watch The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I think that's probably um, his best performance to date. We haven't seen enough of him as the Flash for me to really say if I, you know, I've, I've, I don't have this attachment to the character. We've only seen him like two or three times. He had his moments uh, in in the Zack Snyder Justice League. I think didn't the film like win an Oscar for some cheap award for like best fan moment or something when 
when Ezra was going through the Speed Force, I mean, that was cool, but not not enough to fully grasp onto. And he's playing two versions of Barry Allen, and I've seen a lot of reviews of the film, and a lot of people have said that traditionally, in the few appearances we've seen of this iteration of Barry Allen with Ezra Miller, he's been annoying, He's he's been, you know... Um, jokey and 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 very kind of immature and childish and this film introduces an alternate version of Barry Allen from Michael Keaton's universe and it, it almost presents a mirror to our Barry Allen in you know the current DCU with you know Ben Affleck and all them and it actually makes Ezra Miller realize like our version of the Flash it almost makes him realize his tendencies and how that could probably annoy people and 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 so so essentially it lends to a more uh mature version of the character that's a lot of the things that people have described Ezra Miller's performance at least for the current uh the the current flash I feel like I'm confusing you guys <laughs> there's two versions of the character we're going to see in the film the one from the current DC universe that's about to get changed and then a younger a younger variant, I guess, from Michael Keaton's universe, and that is the one that is very childish, very young, annoying, you know, quippy, whatever. And Ezra Miller almost sees that, and he notices, like, oh, okay, this is how I am. Okay, I'm going to tone it down a, a, a little bit. <clears throat> but let's read some of these reviews here on Rotten Tomatoes. And I will, I will say the critic score is actually... Um, a little bit lower than I expected because people have talked about this film like it's the second coming of The Godfather and people have said it's like the greatest comic book film of all time. And for for, for, for that kind of praise, I think it's sitting in this mid to lower 70s range. Let me see here. The Flash Rotten Tomatoes. So it's got a 73% score, and I assume the audience score will be higher. That's that, that seems to be the trend lately with comic book films. Critics have been a little harder on these films, for whatever reason. But, the reviews are still in favor of the film doing well. So let's read some of these reviews here. It says here, it's strange to be watching and reviewing another superhero movie like The Flash in the wake of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's true. Which, by comparison, is like measuring gourmet with fast food. That said, The Flash is some tasty fast food. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's, that's a positive review, but that's kind of a condescending, you know, review at the same time. It says here, a reasonably entertaining multiverse-themed superhero film. So these two reviews so far are pretty lukewarm. They're just like, you know, it's, it's, it's good for what it is. Let's read another one here. Feels like the first DC film in a long time, like Superman 2, long that finds the ideal balance of action, engaging plot, likable characters whose, de whose default personality isn't shades of brooding with equal parts of pathos and fun. Pretty, uh, pretty good review. That guy gave it a score of 9 out of 10. Oh, wow. I just realized. So the past few episodes, I've been reading reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And I didn't even realize it below, the critics give a score of the film out of 10. Did, didn't even notice that. So the two reviews I read earlier that were pretty lukewarm, 
Um, the person that said Casey Chong, who said a reasonably entertaining multiverse-themed superhero action adventure, that person gave it a 6 out of 10. I guess, okay, the person above didn't give it a, a score. Interesting. Let's see here. Ezra Miller turns out to be very... Excuse me. Ezra Miller turns out to be every bit as on-the-spectrum manic, antsy, and impulsive as you'd expect. Okay. That is... That's got a fresh, but that to me, that's not a good review. That's That sounds like it's... I don't know if that worked for this person or if it didn't. See, The Flash is a fun and adventurous film that brings a lot of nostalgia and DC goodness into the fold. And Michael Keaton as Batman is definitely the highlight of the film. We'll read like a couple more here. The Flash is a satisfying superhero experience, complete with epic scale, heartfelt emotion, a backdoor origin story, and a few issues along the way. Okay. We'll we'll read one more positive, and then there's a couple negative that, that we'll go over here. The first feature film featuring the subatomically fast DC Comics hero is a zippy and entertaining blast, and yet it nonetheless manages to serve up a few heartfelt moments amid all its carefully choreographed chaos. Okay. So I'm not going to lie. These reviews aren't actually that great. It's, it's more so of the, the content creators I watch, like Dan Mural, John Flickinger, uh, Sean Chandler. They've enjoyed the film quite a bit, and, and they've, they've given a lot of high praise for the film. John Flickinger, who, by the way, is one of my favorite YouTubers on the planet. I think he's one of the few content creators left that gives a genuine opinion and doesn't hide from giving his opinion, which is something I admire. I think too many people these days want to tiptoe and, and, and give give the crowd-pleasing generic review that they know will, will, will get clicks, that they know that they know that will get mass um, you know recognition and people will agree with them and rather than informing their own opinion that some people might agree with but some people at the same time might disagree with. But people too many people these days, too many content creators will will not truly say how they feel and they'll say what they think is the right thing to say in order to 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 prevent from hurting someone's feelings. Not to get off track, I think there's a fine line you need to walk on. Obviously, there are things you do not say that are unnecessary to say. Like you don't insult a group of people. You don't insult certain audiences, certain whatever. That you don't do. But... When it comes to reviewing the art, say how you feel. Don't say how you think you should feel. Say how you truly feel. Anyways, not to get off track. But people have been calling this film the greatest comic book movie of all time. I think that, that, uh, that's been getting thrown around way too much. People have said it for Across the Spider-Verse. Look, I, I really enjoy Across the Spider-Verse. I think it's the fourth best Spider-Man film of all time. And there's, I mean, out of 10 of them, I think that's that's pretty good. That's pretty high for me because I'm not the biggest fan of animation. And I, I listened to the last episode. I talked a lot. I talked in depth about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and my my relationship with, with animation and live action. It's a pretty good episode. Go check it out. But people have called that film the greatest Spider-Man film, the greatest comic book film of all time. And I, I just think that's ridiculous with all due respect. It's it's people's opinions. I get it. I I just I don't agree with it, and I I never once thought for for any second 
that The Flash was going to be the greatest comic book film of all time. At the end of the day, it's all subjective. So, what does it really matter anyways? But, you know, on the other side, I think that that, that term should only, shouldn't get just thrown around like a Frisbee. Or, or you know what I mean? I, I think that should truly only be associated with the all-time greats like The Dark Knight, like Infinity War, films like that, Endgame, these the, these films that have transcended the genre and that have truly broken new ground. Nowadays, comic book film, every comic book film that comes out it seems like there's a wide majority of people that just immediately deem it the greatest comic book film of all time. And I think that's ridiculous, personally. Just my opinion. Um, yeah, but what do I think? I think the film is going to be good. It might even be great. And I'm sure I'll have a good time. And apparently, there's a ton of cameos, a ton of stuff that have blown people away. And that has to do with what I mentioned earlier. Some screenings of the film have not included some cameos. Some have. The director, Andy Muschietti, actually revealed one of the cameos, um, which I don't really know why. Was that an attempt to get more butts in the seat? Maybe. Did he just slip up in an interview? Probably. Uh, but I, I, I would have liked to have seen that for the first time, not knowing it was going to happen. But there's apparently even more cameos and even more things beyond that. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Are you excited for The Flash? Are you not going to see the film because of Ezra Miller? I mean, it's, I think that's a little ridiculous that some people take that position. At the, at the same time, I get it. It's, 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 it's a difficult conversation, you know, separating art from the artist. Um, I, I don't condone anything that Ezra Miller has done. And I've said before, I think he should be recast. But I can still go in and watch the film and appreciate it as a comic book film, as a piece of art. Because it's not like the film completely and solely rests upon their shoulders. They're a part of it. And they've apparently done a, you know, given a great performance. And I'm excited to see them. But there are other talented people involved that deserve to be recognized. So, those are the reasons why I am going to see the film. Are you going to see the film? Have you bought your tickets yet? I have my tickets for Thursday and I'm I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to it. There hasn't been a lot of good DC movies that have come out in the last amount of years. I didn't watch I still haven't even seen the first Shazam. I didn't watch Fury of the Gods. I probably will never watch that film. Uh I just have no interest. I really have no interest in the new Flash, or excuse me, I have limited to no interest in the new um, Aquaman film, that's what I meant to say, haven't even seen the first Aquaman film, Blue Beetle, I might check it out, I might not, it, it looks like just your, it, it looks like just a generic comic book movie, if I'm, if I'm being honest, it seems like it's, it's borrowing a lot of tropes that we've seen from other superhero films of you know, characters that can fly and not knowing how to control that 
that ability and they fly off into the atmosphere, things we've seen before with Iron Man. It seems like it's just a lot of these tropes are being recycled through with new comic book characters. It'd be nice to see something new, which that's why I've loved Marvel all these years. They've introduced new characters like Shang-Chi. I didn't like Miss Marvel, the show overall, but I like the character. I like what they did with her in her family life. That was interesting. Um, Moon Knight, Blade, I probably sound like a Marvel stan right now. Don't get me wrong. I I want both sides to eat. I want both sides to win. I prefer and I've always liked Marvel more as a collection of superheroes, but I want to see DC do, do just as well. And my favorite individual comic book character has always been Batman. Batman will always be my favorite comic book character favorite collection of characters to watch on screen in a live action medium is Marvel. But I want I want to see DC do well cuz there's room for everyone. There's room for it for 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 all kinds of comic book characters. So I don't think it should just be exclusive to Marvel. I want to see DC do well and I'm confident that they will with this new change of ownership, this new change of leadership with James Gunn and Peter Safran. But anyways, let's move on. So the next topic here, we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's next set of films, Rebel Moon. So I am eagerly awaiting to see Zack Snyder's next film, or now films rather, in Rebel Moon. And it's now been officially reported from The Hollywood Reporter. I'm going to read the article in a sec. The headline here says, Rebel Moon will release as two films and get a director's cut, Zack Snyder says. The director revealed how the plans for his latest Netflix project with the first film slated for December shaped up. And it's pretty interesting. This article, or excuse me, the film uh, Rebel Moon allegedly was originally pitched by Zack Snyder to Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm obviously is the, the creator of Star Wars and everything like that. Zack Snyder originally pitched this film to Lucasfilm. As a Star Wars movie. And then apparently Lucasfilm turned that down for whatever reason. So Zack Snyder from there, I guess, probably changed some things with the story. Adapted it so it's not a Star Wars movie, but just a sci-fi adventure, thriller, whatever you want to call it. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm a Zack Snyder fan. I didn't love his last Netflix film, uh, whatever the fuck it was called. I can't remember. The the zombie robbery movie with Dave Bautista. Not my favorite of his, but... Dawn of the Dead, probably my favorite zombie movie to date. I know that was a remake of the original Dawn of the Dead. I think Zack Snyder's take was was better, personally. And I think I actually just found out the other week that that was written by James Gunn. Pretty interesting, if you didn't know that. Uh, You know, obviously, his take on the Justice League is leaps and valleys better Head and shoulders better. Whatever analogy you want to use, way better than what we got with Joss Whedon. That was great. Although it's quite long, quite dense. You need to definitely like book a day off from your normal schedule if you're going to want to sit down because it's a four-hour movie. But it's great. It's 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 awesome. You know the 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 theatrical cut of Batman v Superman has its issues, but I like it. Then he released the director's cut, which I thought was better. So, overall, he's a great filmmaker. Even Sucker Punch, I know that's prob- a lot of people point to that as his worst film. 
it's a guilty pleasure for me. I can I can fully acknowledge the film's issues, but it's it's very stylized. It's very Zack Snyder, which works for some people. For some people, it doesn't. I like his style of filmmaking, for me personally. And when it comes to Rebel Moon, this is right up my alley. I love. I'm a huge fan of sci-fi. I'm a huge fan of, of fantasy. And, uh, and it seems like this film is going to be right up there in that. So let's read the article. It says here, Zack Snyder is preparing for Rebel Moon Universe. In a first look interview with Vanity Fair published Tuesday, the director shared his expanding plans for his latest project with Netflix, which is a concept Zack Snyder has been mulling since college. The sci-fi adventure will debut on the streamer December 22nd. Follows a woman, Sophia Botella, with a mysterious past who is sent out by a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy to find warriors after the society is threatened by the armies of the tyrant. But the project will actually be two movies after the writer-director spoke with, with Netflix about a 72-page script, which translated to nearly a three-hour movie. I don't... I, I read this article earlier, and I don't... Maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I don't quite understand what that means, because a 72-page script is really fucking short. Like, generally speaking, a feature film script is anywhere from, like, 100 to 120 pages, normally. And even that's a pretty short movie. A 72-page script would, would, would equate to, like, a, a film just a little over an hour. So, let me read this again. Maybe I'm, in, I'm interpreting this wrong. But the project will actually be two movies after the writer-director spoke with Netflix about a 72-page script, which translated to a nearly three-hour movie. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not quite getting that. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. Who knows? But let's move on here. It says here, Netflix film boss Scott Stuber was like, on the service, under two hour movies really do better for some reason. Even though you'll binge watch a series of eight episodes. Deborah Snyder, Zach's producing partner and wife, says Zach said, if you ask me to make this less than two hours, I'm going to lose all the character. You won't care about these people. It's a character story about how people can change and redemption and what you are willing to fight for. So he said, what if I give you two movies? As a result, the $166 million movie, which Vanity Fair reports is from the film's estimated cost based on California tax filings, will be split into two parts, though the second film's release date remains unclear. Zack Snyder says he was looking to have part two release on the heels of part one. Quote, it won't be long after... Netflix can do things that a traditional studio can't do as far as how close together movies are released, he notes. Okay, so we're not going to read the rest. Yeah, I'm curious, is Netflix going to, you know, keep their boots on the ground and stick to to what they've done forever and just drop films straight to streaming and, and no theatrical window? They've, they've, they've kind of kissed this idea on the cheek, so to speak. We saw with Glass Onion that film had a had like a seven day theatrical window. I was fortunate enough to see it on the big screen. I think it was, I I enjoyed seeing it on the big screen. I think that's how that film is meant to be. I watched it several other times at home, but nothing beats going to the movies. It, like there there's this narrative nowadays that only blockbuster, you know. IP action adventure movies should be the only things that should really be going to theaters. I disagree. I think even the most grounded, intimate, you know, indie films about the starving artists trying to make it and whatever, those should be experienced on the big screen as well. That's just me. 
Um, what do I think about this news? Pretty interesting. I think Netflix seems to have a lot of confidence in Zack Snyder. I think Zack Snyder has some deal with them similar to Fincher. It seems like Fincher has some kind of deal with Netflix. Maybe it's like a uh, first look exclusive kind of situation. I don't really know the details, but it seems like they're very confident in this film and uh, that they're giving it the green light to split it in two, in, in two releases. Although I'm not too sure if that has to do with the confidence or if that's because as the Netflix uh, studio had you know, pointed out that he prefers to have the films under two hours. Uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that. You know, each film should get their respective runtime. If a film needs to be an hour and a half, and that's if, if the filmmakers feel that's the perfect runtime for the story they're trying to tell, let them. Any longer will will bore the audiences. However, if a film deals with a lot of character drama and 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 deals with a lot of subject matter that that requires a lot of time and attention toward, it should get a two two and a half hour three hour runtime. I mean, look at Scorsese's next film, Kills of the Flower Moon. That film has a reported runtime of like three and a half hours. And on all accounts, it deserved every minute of it. I can't wait for that film, by the way. The the latter half of this year is going to have potentially some amazing, amazing movies that I cannot wait for. And we have Oppenheimer next month, which you guys know how I feel about Oppenheimer. I think that movie is... <laughs> I, I really try like I try to go into a movie and and I try to leave my expectations out the door. And normally I, I can do that. But at least for the first viewing of Oppenheimer, it's gonna be hard to do that because I have been I have been talking about this film. I have been re-reporting this film. Um I've I've just been paying close attention to it for for, for as long as it's it's as it's been reported on and, and and talked about like I've done podcast episodes from the beginning of 2021 about this movie I, I've been it's been years that I've been following this movie and I I'm just I can't wait like go back if you look let me see if I could find it when was like the first time I truly like made it like like talked about this this film on the on the podcast here uh, Christopher Nolan's next film, Oppenheimer, number nine, my ninth episode. This is like I don't, I don't even, I don't keep track of the episode numbers anymore. I, I took that out. I just, I don't like, I don't like it. You know, I just like having the title and that's it. I don't think having the number is necessary. But I think this was like episode sixty three, sixty four, my ninth episode on November seventh, twenty twenty one. That was the first episode that I made talking about Oppenheimer. So basically what I'm trying to say is I, I've been looking forward to this film for a very, very long time. <laughs> a little over a year, a year and a half in a bit. So yeah. But anyways, getting off track here. Are you guys excited for Zack Snyder's, seems like his next two films. And there's even been rumors that Zack Snyder has, has even thought about making a video game out of out of this film so really expanding this franchise so it seems like you know there's a lot of confidence in in, in the potential and what this what this property can be last thing here before we'll move on to the next topic speaking of netflix apparently the killer was screened to some of the executives over at netflix and the killer is david fincher's next film which i am very very excited for once again coming out in the latter half of 2023 
And apparently that screening of the killer left the audience, the the executives at Netflix, it left them apparently stunned, like shocked, speechless. So that's exciting to see. But let's move on here <clears throat> to the next topic. The final topic, the reoccurring Wednesday topic that I like to do every week called What Have I Watched Lately? And it's, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. I talk about what I've watched from the last Wednesday to this Wednesday. Some weeks I have more time to watch movies and TV shows than others. Some weeks I don't. Some weeks I'm auditioning. And right now I'm still working on my, my, my next short film, which I'll talk about more once it's further in development. Um, but this week I was able to watch The Idol. And I was able to watch Heat, directed by Michael Mann. So let's get into that. So let's start with The Idol. Where do I begin with this show? It's not very good. At least it's not off to a good start. Now now let's talk about what it's about. For those of you who don't know, we follow this pop star named Jocelyn. And uh, she's. It, it appears that she's still grieving the loss of her mother that happened recently while trying to reclaim her stardom and and make make a comeback to the to the music scene and she's uh, her and her team are, are working on this new music video for this single that's supposed to hopefully uh, bring people back and and, and gear the, the conversation toward her again because it, it seemed it, the show's alluding that maybe something happened in the in the past that might have you know some some kind of controversy whatever uh it stars Lily Rose Depp. It stars the the weekend. This is his first time acting, and Sam Levinson is is one of the co creators of the show. It's it's very much of that heightened style that we've seen with some of the things that he's done with Euphoria. And um, I, I look, I'm a fan of the filmmaker. I, I still think the best thing he's done is that little Netflix movie called Malcolm and Marie. I think that was an incredible film. I loved it. You know, I like Euphoria for what it is. It's 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 pretty good. Um, but we know that with with Sam Levinson, there is definitely an expectation for, um, you know, graphic stuff, nudity, coarse language, whatever. And for some people, that's 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 where the issue lies with them for for this show. That's why it's not very good. And, and to me, I I've, that's not the problem with this show. Because I, I think that's just kind of bullshit. I think so many of, of, of the, we look at the greatest movies that have come out and, and, and the classics and some of your favorite movies and TV shows probably have, you know, graphic, probably have sex scenes, nudity, foul language, whatever. It's, that's not the problem. The, the problem lies with the characters in the story. If you're just having, you know, grotesque imagery for the for the sake of grotesque imagery and there's not an actual there's there, there's not there's not there's not sub there's there's not a story being told it's just style over substance that is the problem and, and i think that that's where the show that that's where the show kind of falls guilty there's so many scenes like for, we we basically what's happening in the first episode is that lily rose depp is trying to shoot this music video and her pr team realizes that a, a, an image of her with, you know, an, an image of her with semen all over her face has surfaced online, it's leaked, and they're trying to, 
They're trying to hide it from Lily Rose Depp's character. They're, they're trying to hide it from Jocelyn so she could just focus on getting this music video done. And so her team is scrambling. They're trying to figure out what do they do? How do we minimize the social damage? And and um, and that's where we see you know we see her character played, uh, or excuse me, we see her manager uh, played by I can't remember the actor's name. It's like Hank something. We see uh, Eugene Levy's son. I, I can't remember his name. Whatever. That's sort of the 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 drama going on here and it like that's that's mostly what this episode is about and once she finds out like they they build it up and you know they they make it seem like she's going to react uh very you know she's going to be shocked when she finds out that this photo of her with bodily fluids all over her face she really doesn't seem to care she's like ah it could be worse and i don't know i just (laughs) say So for me, the none of the characters are likable. They're 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 not. I mean, even the performances. I mean, I'll talk about the weekend in a second. But yeah, I mean, look. Bottom line, the best way I can describe this pilot is that it feels like a very heightened satire, and the the thing, the very thing it was trying to that the show was trying to be a satire of, it's almost become that in and of itself. And it honestly just feels like a... Take one of the, the songs from The Weeknd's... Many many of The Weeknd's work. I think of The After Hours. I think... Take like Escape from L.A. or one of his, one of his songs from After Hours and adapt it into, you know, a, a TV show. And that's honestly what this feels like. It, it, it truly doesn't really feel like there's a... There's a notable story that's being told. It just feels like this is where we're trying to show this super edgy, heightened reality of what this lifestyle is. And it really kind of just falls flat, to be honest with you. I'm I'm not going to completely write it off. I think that there, there is a chance it can get better. But so far, a lot of the things that the critics described of this show, I agree with some of them, not all of them. Like is so the whole narrative of like oh it's it's graphic and and there's this that and the other going on, that's not my problem because some of the some of the best movies of all time have have pretty like you know highbrow stuff going on, but at the core, my issue lies with the characters and the story that's being told. What does this show have to say? And so far, it's just really nothing. <laughs> it, it's it's. Yeah, granted, we're one episode in. The if there is a story that's being told, we've we've seen a very small fraction of it. So that's why I'm gonna give it a chance. I'm gonna give it a few more episodes. By episode three or four, if I'm still not really getting much out of it, I'm gonna tap out. But let's talk about the weekend. So he plays this club owner named Tedros, and. This character is just one-dimensional as they come. He's just this creepy, rapey guy that has pretty much no redeeming qualities to him whatsoever. And it seems like a lot of this... It, I, I'm not saying this is how The weekend is in real life, but it's kind of on the nose that the first character... We're, or the first time we're seeing The weekend act in something is a character... is a very heightened character like this, which is... Similar to some of the archetypes that we've seen with some of the storytelling that, you know, The Weeknd has, has done with some of his own music and some of, you know, the, the, the sort of 
people and the events and the things that he, the subject matter that he talks about in his music, it seems like it falls in line with this character, Tedros, and with the show in general, just this stuff like that. In terms of The weekend's acting, I've seen worse, but it's not great. It's, 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 it's not that good. And look, I don't want to sound like I'm this great actor either. I'm still very much, uh, I wouldn't even say I'm a great actor. I'm still very much learning. There's a lot of room to grow, but just I've seen, I've watched some of the, the, the greatest actors of all time. I've, I've, I'm a student of cinema. This was not the most impressive outing I've seen. And look, I'm not going to go super hard on him. It's his first time you know, acting on this scale and, and, and when he's done music videos and stuff like that, but this is his first time being in, in this, this area, you know, being on a major television show with a large production budget and there's other actors involved. He's one of the leads. It's, it's, it's a lot of pressure probably for him and it's, it's not terrible, but it's, I, I wouldn't call it good. It's here. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys. If you want to know, if you want to tell one good performance from another, and one good actor from another, look at their eyes when you're watching a film. To me, that's how you can tell if you're watching a good performance. Not, not the showy performances where you have an actor kicking and screaming and, and, and showing ultra emotion. and, and No. Anybody can do that. Anybody can walk into a room and scream and, and you, know, you know, kick and cry and yell and, and pout and, and anybody can do I mean, Well, crying is, okay, crying is something else. That actually takes technique and skill, utilizing the soft palate. But the other things like just yelling and screaming, anybody can do that. that that's not good acting. What's, what good acting is is when you can tell that the character you're watching on screen is engaged and present in the scene. And how I often... Can, can 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 notice that is through the eyes. To truly tell a great performance from another is when you can tell an actor is engaged and they're listening. And you can see that there's a story being told in their eyes. When they're listening, when an actor is listening to their scene partner, that is when you can actually see the performance, right? Obviously, they'll say their lines, they'll say their dialogue, but when you see the moments where they're not talking and the focus isn't on them, if you look at them in the scene... You can read through the eyes. You could see what they're thinking. Not exactly what they're thinking, but you could see that there's inner dialogue going on. And they're not just sitting there waiting for their line. They're actually engaged. They're listening. That, to me, is how you can tell a good performance from another. And when I was watching The weekend, specifically in the scene where he's talking to Jocelyn in the club and they're, and they're on the staircase and they're having a conversation and we see a close-up of his face... To me, it did not seem like he was engaged in the scene. It, j- it just seemed like he was waiting for his turn to say his line. At least that that's how I interpreted it. But anyways, that's thats pretty much my review, if you want to call it that, of uh, The Idol. And uh, I'll talk about it in the future. I'll give it, I'll give it a, you know, two more episodes. And if I'm, if I'm really not liking it, then uh, I will have to tap out. Now let's move on to the to the film that I watched this week called Heat. Now this was a great great movie directed by Michael Mann and I'm trying to watch more of his films because I know he has his his film coming up with Adam Driver either at the end of this year or early next year 
uh, and it's 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 a biopic about the I, I believe it's about the CEO and the guy who who created Ferrari and Adam Driver is going to be playing the main the the lead. This is a great filmmaker, and he he did an incredible job. Some of the camera work he did with one of my favorite sequences in the film that I think really really shows his his chops when it comes to directing this film was the in the third act, sort of just under the the last hour of the film where we see the main robbery go down and we see the you know the sequence in the streets with Val Kilmer, Robert De Niro, and you know they're shooting everybody and like that that was like that was so entertaining that was like fucking awesome that was some of the best bank robbery action scenes i've seen since like the town like it's it was it was great um but this is an incredible film the the first half of the movie really focuses on you know robert de niro and you know him and and sort of his crew with val kilmer and uh tom sizemore and all those characters and you know at least for me, I was rooting for Robert De Niro. I was rooting for that character to make it out. You know, he kind of reminded me of Ben Affleck's character from The Town. A flawed character, yes. Um, but you could see where sort of some of his, you know, he's, you could see he might under the, under the mask, there might be some, you know, some good intentions, uh, a good heart, if you will. But still a very, very much a flawed character. And... And early in the film, we're introduced to Al Pacino, and I wasn't really rooting for him. I could just, at first, I thought he was just, okay, the asshole cop that just is in the film to be the adversary to our protagonist. Then by the end of the film, where we see that very intense and once again, beautifully directed one-on-one action sequence uh, outside of the airport between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, that was, oh, that was amazing. Like, really a good film. Everybody has told me to watch this movie. It's long. And don't get me wrong, I don't mind watching a three-hour movie. But like I said, I have to reserve time to really do that because I'm busy. And this movie just breezes by. It is just, it's it's a very, it's, it's, it's a perfect runtime for the story that's being told in this movie. Just like I talked about earlier, if a film truly deserves and, and warrants a three-hour runtime, give it a three-hour runtime. The last thing you want to do is overstay your welcome, and this film does not do that at all. It could have continued going if it really wanted to, but it ended on a perfect note. And by the end of the film, I was actually rooting for Al Pacino's character. He plays the lead lieutenant um, overseeing this whole project. And he's, you know, he's the one that's essentially the, the tip of the spear in trying to take down Robert De Niro and his operation and, and his crew. And... You end up rooting for this guy by the end of the film because you realize he is going through a lot. You know, his wife cheated on him. And oh my God, when you when he walks into his hotel room and he sees a young Natalie Portman and her character and she slices her wrist, that totally caught me by surprise. I did not expect that at all. So he's going through all this in his personal life. You find out that this is his third marriage. And he's still got to go in and do his job. And he's still got to go in and, and be the leader of this whole operation. You're kind of rooting for this guy to win. And he and ultimately, he does end up winning. So, yeah, it, it was it was a thrill. It was, it was a roller coaster. And I loved it. It was a fucking great movie. But, yeah, I think we're going to close it out there. Just clocking in at an hour or so. Um, if you stuck around for this long, 
I want to thank you very much for tuning in. It was a pretty lengthy episode. The Wednesday episodes seems to seem to be longer just because there's there's more things to talk about. I might rearrange the schedule. I might not do episodes on a Sunday and maybe do it like do an episode on Tuesday and then an episode on Friday just because on Sunday there's really not, not much going on in this, you know, in in this community of, you know, movies and TV. So we'll we'll see. I have to give that some thought, but thank you very much for listening. The podcast I'm working on doing the video podcast very soon once I figure out my studio setup. And uh, yeah, that'll be it. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay happy. I'll see you on the next one.